0: we are doing the will of our true self, we are inevitably doing the will of the universe. In magic, these are seen as indistinguishable, that every human soul is in fact one human soul. It is the soul of the universe itself, and as long as you are doing the will of the universe, then it is impossible to do anything wrong. Uh.
1: Um, hi, uh, I just wanted to give a short introduction to the chat with Michelle. Sorry for the, I don't know, the, the absence, I suppose. Um, we're about to embark on a pretty wonderful road trip, I guess, to clear our heads and whatnot. And I uh, just wanted to say what a wonderful chat it was with Michelle. And you know, she I don't know if she revealed some things, but she revealed some things to me that I, I find absolutely enthralling and and brilliant and beautiful. And I hope you all will agree. Um, in any case, I <laughs> should be back in full form soon. Uh obviously. I think our community, I think humanity as a whole has been going through some really heavy, heavy shit. And um, it's gotten personal. And, you know, there's a lot of people affected pretty deeply by health things. So I just want to say, uh, love you, Sam. Love you, Lord Josh. Uh, Love you, John Aside. Love you, uh, Sarah and Robin and Maggie. And everyone that's tumbling and, uh, you know, uh, facing the brutal heavy of somatic life. And yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Anyways, thank you for tuning in. And please, I don't know, hug somebody. For the fucking love of God, hug somebody. All right. Haunt them. I'm Keats Ross. This is Prag Magic. Uh, not to give a lot of preamble because there's so much that Michelle does and is so wonderful at musician, podcaster, tarot diviner, uh, spellcaster, you name it. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, Michelle Embry. Hi. Yay.
0: Thank you, Keats. Thanks for having me here today. This is so cool.
1: Yeah. I was so excited to talk to you. I know that We had a wonderful chat a week or so ago and we've kind of been, you know, our our community has been blistering and bubbling with a lot of stuff recently and it's so good to like find like minded people to continuously keep up to date with and check in with and yeah, so how have you been?
0: I've been actually really pretty good. Uh, I have so many like projects. So like the pandemic times and like all that kind of times I have like, I have lots to do. So I've actually been pretty good, mostly focusing on Secret Antenna, which is the podcast that I do with Callie Tinsel. Um, So that's that's been one of my main focuses lately actually.
1: Yeah, and you also, you write a tarot column um, I know you do some, what would you consider it counseling or is it like? You
0: yeah, know? I do. I do a, um, I do a tarot column with anti-gravity magazine, which is comes out of New Orleans. It's such a great it's such a great paper. You can and you can get it online and you can you can order it in the mail and all that stuff. And I've admired that paper for a long time. And so like, actually, this month is makes one year that I've been writing a monthly uh, collective tarot reading for the city of New Orleans, which is just like, oh, yeah, that's just, awesome It's so awesome. I feel I'm just grateful every month when I get to do that So that is definitely one thing that I am really proud of and love to do Um, and then yeah, I have my private practice Which is yeah, it's interesting that you ask that because it's like tarot card reading. Yes, it is It definitely is that I definitely bring in my cards and i'm definitely reading your cards But it's also mostly what I work with people about certainly is, um, yeah, it's more, it's a lot more like counseling and I want my, I want my work to be that, that is the space that I want to be in with people. Like I'm really not trying to predict what's going to happen to you like that that's okay. That's entertainment. That's fun. Like if you go to a carnival or a psychic fair or something like that's good times to see if somebody can predict something that's fun, but uh, that's not really what I do on a daily basis with people.
1: I was going to say, yeah, cause and we talked deeply about this the other night because I have a firm want of some sort of service within this. And like, you know, counseling is something I think about a okay. lot. Not because I think that, you know, I'm an authority or somebody should, you know, uh, take my image or what I do as like part and parcel of what they should do. But I feel that there is something, I feel like I can, uh, you know, I know the advice I should be taking. And because of the experiences that I've had in my life that, you know, it's it's nominal for somebody that's going through a lot of the rough and tumble of life to, you know, hear from people that have had that experiential process you know and when when did you start thinking that yeah like I can I can help people I could be of service in this
0: um yeah that's a really good question um I first went professional with tarot cards in 2012 so it's actually been about eight years now um, which was kind of a while, and when I first really went into doing it, it was just kind of like I was in a space where like I had um, I had money to live on for a while, and I wanted to do writing and stuff, and I thought, oh, I love tarot cards. I'll just see. I'll just hang my shingle out. You know, I didn't really need <laughs> to like you know. I'll see what yeah. happens. You know? And, um, and I started reading for people at that point in time and it was, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of clients and I was pretty cheap and, you know, and all of that. But as people came to me, I was like, oh wait, there's really actually a lot I can do with this. And by 2014, I was like, you know, I want to make tarot cards and spiritual counseling and that type of work pretty much my main focus my full time gig and you know like like i said at the at the at that point in time like i had to, i had this little stack of money that i planned to use basically to not work like that was right. the plan for the money right and so like it wasn't going to last forever <laughs> <laughs> Right, but it was it was what I wanted to do with the money, and I never look back and regret it. Like you know, that's a great if you can if you can afford it, taking a few years off is a really good idea. Yeah, (laughs) Um, so this would have been
1: the year for sure. Yeah, (laughs) this would (laughs) have
0: been the year. Yeah, for sure. So, but by the time that like I needed to like actually like work again um, and make an income again, I was like, this is what I want my life to be, and I had realized at that point in time, like this is not about me predicting your future. This is not really about entertainment. Like we need to talk about spirit. We need to talk about wounds. We need to talk about, you know, trauma. trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And realizing how much as someone who deals with a lot of trauma from my past, I didn't at first see myself as the most capable person for that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why now looking back on that that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but at the time back then i was like well you need somebody who like doesn't have those problems to help you and now <laughs> i'm like what you no know, it's yeah. it's really the opposite and i find so often with clients you know what i do with them is when they're talking about their own state of mind and how they approach the world and these different things with them i'm like you know i'm like you and here's the way here's what happens to me and here's how I help myself and that that's really helpful to people in one way the other thing I sometimes can do with people is I'm like you know we're just gonna sit in the place together where this really hurts and we're just gonna breathe together and we're just gonna be in this pain together for a second because like why should you be alone um Something else that I was doing like during this period of time when I wasn't working was I was touring. I learned that I could do, I could perform uh, with my voice in a way that was really helpful to people. So between, 2011 and, two, two, or between yeah, 2011 and 2013, I toured this kind of hellaciously dark show that I did about my, it was my memoir. It was my story. And uh, and it was interesting when I first started doing it that, uh, I don't know, my poor first audience, like I had no idea that what I was saying was so dark. Like right. I was so, right? <laughs> Your own life, you're like, you know how it is, you know, and any like horrifying trauma, you know? And you're like, you know how they do you. You know, when I mean? oh, other yeah. people are like, ah! Um, it taught me something. So I feel like I almost killed my first audience, right? Anyway, the point is of this is that that story started to evolve. And I realized that um, rather than me just reading my memoirs, that I could do a type of performance. And that's when I first brought in a musician to work with me. So Mm -hmm. I started setting this stuff to like beats. And so that even though I was giving people this really dark, Story. I was also bringing all of this healing work to it, and one of the things that I said it was a story called uh, by the skin of these words, and it was my own. It was my own life story, and kind of saying like I really just survived psychologically, and maybe even physically because I found a way to put this, these words. I found a way to use words, like was what it comes down to. But you could use anything. You could use paint, you could use music, you could use yoga. I don't, you know, like, but I, my way was words. So one of the things that I had said during that performance was, you know, for those of you who have like been in these situations, especially as children, like crimes were committed and the people got away, f- away. you know, and like nothing, no justice will ever be had. But these things, they weren't, it wasn't a childhood, it was a crime. It was a crime right. scene, right? Yeah. And th- one of the most powerful things I had felt that I'd said in that story when I was presenting these to audiences was I was like, you know, but the thing is, is like, I'm your witness. I know exactly what happened to you. You know, crimes were committed. Lies were told. No justice will be found. I am your witness, you know, and this is my testimony on your behalf. Like I saw the whole thing. And that's like a line from one of the show, from the show is I saw the whole thing. And when I would say that the audience would just be like, (gasps) and have this moment. And at that time I was like, you know what? I'm not making that up. I do know what happened to you i did see the whole thing i am your witness even if you were alone so why would we be alone there ever again yeah. and right and so in realizing that that from that show that's what i started to really put into my tarot work is like why would we be there alone i know what i know what you went through i know what it felt like i know exactly who you are and where you were in that regard so i don't want you to be there alone i don't want to be there alone we can not be alone in that anymore. And so that's so much of what I bring to tarot.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it's too, you know, we were talking about you know, when people seek a reader, when someone sings to them with how they read the cards or, you know, the uh, the the narratives kind of that they spin, like it has to come from somewhat of an experiential place. It has to, you have to share that tether, you know, of vulnerability in doing yes. it, you know, because you can go through the academic Realms of what tarot is and how to read you know uh yeah. just just in like an encyclopedic kind of idea of it, but that's not what people seek you know when they're when they're looking for someone to uh you know confer with
0: yeah no it's it's really really true. the more of myself I put into it, the better off um the the better the readings really go i mean that's definitely one of the things that I say to my clients is it's like you know. If we didn't have something in common you would have chosen another reader
1: right
0: like you're here today because i'm going to hear something i need to hear and it's going to come out of my own mouth You right. know? <laughs> and so like one thing i've definitely learned is like waking up and like you know i'll have my readings scheduled you know two or three readings i'm going to do that day and i might wake up like oh god it's so much work you know mm. like kind of like that and in my own mood and having my own things go on but what i know for sure by now is michelle you do that first reading and i come out and i'm like woohoo! like and it doesn't matter what we talk about and i say that too i'm like you can tell me you're gonna leave things here and you can tell me all of these things like we can be in all of these dark places but none of that's gonna stick with me i'm really just a vessel right now and like we're both getting healing through this so we can have a really hard conversation we can talk about, you know, suicide. We can talk about getting beat up. We can talk about, we can talk about really dark things. I'm saying well, when I get off this phone, I'm going to be like, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah,
1: There's a vexation. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. And it's such a, you know, the vulnerability has been like such a prime uh, lesson, I guess I should say, but in hopes of it being a superpower eventually, you know, because I think a lot of in this realm of, you know, kind of occultnic, you know, um, uh, procedures and practices and stuff. There's the people that move kind of to the top of the echelon somehow are the ones that kind of decree some sort of enlightenment or, you know, uh, put themselves off as some elevated, you know, person that they've, you know, conquered all the transgressions that you know, us, you know, peons go through or whatever. You know? And right. it's like, no, it's, I don't see how it's ever, it never ends. Yeah. You know?
0: Right. Yeah. It never ends. And then too, I don't know. I mean, just like, if you really look into like gurus. Right. Like what's really in their life is nothing like what they're portraying. I mean, like right. sometimes it's like stuff that you're like, God, regular people would never do that crap like you, know. you are like you know so i don't trust that stuff a lot it, yeah, at
1: it's all like, it's like yeah i always say what do they do at thursday at 3 p.m you know yeah that's yep, that's, who that's they right
0: are. <laughs> yeah that's who they are but yeah,
1: he, you know and this yeah this ties it back to just was that performance that you did that you said you know you killed your audience was that kind of like a liminal ceremony like it was one of those it was almost a, a public grieving
0: yes you know? yes and it, at first, I didn't get it. Like in 2011, it was just as I was a zine writer back in the day. I did, you know, I was a zine writer and I, I had written a novel also that was published by Soft Skull. And oh, nice. I was, yeah. And, you know, so I was in the, like, they called it like the punk lit underground, you know. Uh-huh. At the time. And so um, that's what I was used to was being a zine and being a novelist. And so I went and I was just reading my work right and at that time no seriously that first audience i looked up and the looks on their faces i'm like okay i can draw some of this like Telling, Trying to talk to people about trauma doesn't mean I have to tell them all, every single horrifying, gory detail. Right.
1: As but, much as you want to. <laughs>
0: right. Well, I think, right. I think one of the main lessons, one of the main healing, and that first audience forgave me because I was like, I am so sorry. There are some parts of that story I will never tell again. You yeah. know, but, but it wasn't, I was doing it because there was this part of me that one didn't realize how bad it was. And two, didn't expect to be heard because I'd been saying it so many times in different ways over the course of my life and nobody heard it, you know, right? It went over my head, right? But once I took up the microphone and I had, I had it written on paper and I had a, a flyer to tell you to come see me, it suddenly became something that everyone took seriously. And I didn't need to tell you the worst of it. I could allude to it and you would understand. Yeah. And so- Right. And in the beginning, I really didn't, those were the two things I didn't know. Like, oh, that didn't happen to you when you were a kid. And to, like, right. like, oh, I can not tell you the gory details exactly. And you can still surmise what happened to me. So that was one thing. And then when it turned to this more performative, and I brought in a musician and I broke those stories down, so that they were more poetic. And I started to really feel like what you call audio Nancy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I started to feel that I could do this work on people with my voice. And I hadn't known that I could do that before. And at that point in time, yes, it became the ceremony of grieving. And another thing that I would say at the end of the performance is I would say, you know, and now I, I can't remember the exact words, but it was, I would say, you know, a murder of crows comes in and picks up the four corners of this room and carries all of this grief away, right? And so, you know, and then we would have this kind of, you know, impromptu ceremonial, yes, grieving with this idea that these birds come in and they take it all up off the floor and they take it away with them. And and I would include that as part of the work that I did with that particular performance.
1: So like, yeah, publicizing it, kind of being loud and not like loud in an annoyance way, but like, you know, having the self-speak volumes, you know, through performance, um, and stuff, do you find there's accountability in that, that you, you know, once you put out those flyers, like you had to show up, if you didn't want to, you know, be a part or couldn't, you know, handle the vulnerability or the grieving of that day, like too bad, you know, (laughs) you had to show up and be accountable.
0: No, that was true for sure. And especially like when we toured it and people would ask, you know, like, how do you like do this every day, you know? And like, you know basically the answer was like well talent you know but um (laughs) (laughs) um, but we were on a mission though too you know at the time we were on a mission we were just the musician i was working with at the time you know we were just like no this is what we're this is the medicine that we're bringing to the people and this is what we're going to do and so we did manage it yeah but yeah you got to show up whether you're like oh god i want to Today I don't feel like telling my trauma story. Well, too bad you're on tour with it. And I did tour other things later. That didn't. That didn't. They were f- their um, fictional stories. It's a trilogy I did called the Crush Kid mm. Stories, and those were three different performances um, that are not that. Um, you know, they're fictional. They're fictional stories. Um, you know, but that are also medicine. They're also very right. much about healing people. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're just you're just speaking through kind of a folkloric lens.
0: yeah Yeah. yes yes that's it exactly
1: do you think that's more used too to kind of have a universal voice do you find that like maybe fiction helps you know the the tether between more people or is it or is it through personal like story Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think it takes both really like Mm -hmm. I think it's both. I think there's some people who responded more to the to the um, memoir work that I did. And then I think that there's people who responded um, more to the fictional work that I did. Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it, I think it takes both, you know, in a a big way, but I love the like folkloric like aspect, the mythical way to like, he, it's really healing for people also when you have this like universalizing vulnerability, universalizing this vulnerability in a way and showing the possibilities of that vulnerability.
1: Now, you know, 2020, it seems like there is a universal grieving or, you know, vulnerability (laughs) through like your tarot work like your monthly column have you kind of unearthed things like just collectively
0: uh yeah i mean i guess a little bit doing the monthly column is funny for me because they're i mean they're there is a predictive quality to tarot, right. even if it's just like, I want to strip it out sometimes. And be like, well, no, <laughs> that's not really the most important thing. Um, I know my editor for the, for the paper down there, You know, he was really um, taken by the column I had written for the month of May, which had been written mid-April. And if you really look at it, it predicts the George Floyd. Oh, really? Yeah. And like, yeah, that's kind of what I said when he pointed it out later. Like, he's like, you know, actually, if you realize this was written in mid-April, this is kind of stunning. And I was like, what is he talking about? And then I was like, oh my God, I was like, right at, I, you know, I was close to like predicting the George Floyd murder to a certain, you know, degree. Uh, Mm -hmm. But what I said in that column really related to it. And it's funny because the only thing, like, I always try to find something that's like, um, it's uplifting. Right. And that month when I had written that, the uplifting part felt really not quite right, but I still kind of felt like I should put it in there. And it's the only part of it that I'm like, I, if I had it to do again, I wouldn't do that. And now oh, really? I'm yes, because it was the, anytime I feel a little bit like, Oh, you're stretching to make things nicer than they are. <laughs> fires on me, you know, it didn't fully backfire in that column. But honestly, there's like two sentences in that column that would have made that particular column even more truthful than it was, you know? Yeah. So, So, um, so in doing that column, no, I've actually, it's funny because I've actually like learned more about the predictive aspects of my ability than I had before. Like, it's not that I don't know that that's there because people will come back to me and they're like, Everything you said was going to happen happened, and i 'm like that's interesting, <laughs> you know like, yeah. it always feels interesting, you know, but the columns taught me a lot about that
1: so for you is you know are like the somewhat preternatural or divinatory aspects are you, are you because I know you 're also a practitioner you you do a lot of like even spell casting online and and stuff have you um, what 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 have you surmised over time like are you are you dipping into something? you know, preternatural and collective, like an unconscious, or is it more like, you know, are you tuning to your, to your own subconscious, you know, like, what have you been finding has been the more, you know, the biggest reprieve of all of it or resolve, yeah. I should say.
0: Mm. It's a good question. Cause like out of all of it, you know, like, it's interesting, like my background, my upbringing Um, my mother was like she was like this um she swore up and down she was an atheist but she wasn't really because she'd have like these like ruth montgomery books i don't know if you know that author but like yeah yeah, okay she had these ruth montgomery books around and one time i remember i came home and her and her friend were in the dark trying to find their auras and i was like oh my god (laughs) um (laughs) but she would swear up and down that she was an atheist and as a kid like i couldn't use the word god in the house Mm. right so um, it's just, she had been abused by religion, you know? Yeah. And she was just like, we're not doing that here, you know? And I don't believe in this stuff. And I think it ruins, it ruins individuals and it ruins society. And like, these people are crazy, you know, they're crazy. And I, you know, I don't disagree with her, but my, but she wasn't entirely um, really atheist either. Obviously she believes in something, right? Um, So, but having been raised like that, Uh, even kind of getting into tarot cards and even like, you know, some other like spiritual works that I get into. um, I did not expect to feel as connected to something that maybe I would consider, I don't know, an ultimate consciousness, Mm -hmm. um, a collective consciousness. I mean, a singular consciousness, even there's a way in which I feel like I plug in to this kind of, you know, Fabric. yeah yeah Something, that is kind of yeah. everything like if mm-hmm. i could fully like the human brain couldn't fully take in like full consciousness without just like exploding like
1: we just don't right know. yeah
0: we can't it's, it's the meta, can't. yeah
1: that's why we need the metatron you know because we can't fathom the voice of god or whatever <laughs> i can't
0: yes no that's exactly <laughs> right no it's exactly right we can't know all of these things you know but there is um there is this way in which I feel like I plug in. I mean, yeah. So like, I'm trying, I want to answer your question pretty specifically.
1: It's a pretty hard one. Yeah.
0: It's a pretty hard one, but like through this work and especially, like I said, coming from this background where religion, like I feel like so many people that I meet that are new age, they've, so to speak, and I don't want to go off on anyone, but I figure, I feel like this is something I need I'll come up against a lot of times. Your kind of new age spirituality would fit really well, right directly back into Christianity. Like you've really just right. changed words and I'm not going off on anyone. It's understandable that that mm-hmm. would happen, you know, yeah. right? Fair um, place absolutely and just dogma it's hard to break dogma and even when it hurts you and you're like i've been hurt by the church so i don't like those words but then somehow you wind up with a new age kind of perspective that really is just christianity with with a different set of words Mm -hmm. and and which again is okay um you know again i just don't want to go off on anyone you know whatever but i certainly have a critique of that um So wait, where was I going with this? So, I, oh, so I guess I'm surprised for myself how much I really do feel like there is maybe some kind of collective consciousness and how much I feel like does come through me from this, from, from, I don't know, I don't even want to say a higher place, but just a different place. I feel like I can, I feel like I can log into something. I think that, I think the internet's a really good metaphor for spirituality in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I can really like log into this thing. And then I have something that maybe I generically call guides. I mean, when I'm working, I have my cards in front of me and I'm reading my cards. I have on my right side, a lot of people, when I'm teaching intuition and classes and things like that, and they say, well, like, how do you know? I'm like, you know, over time, it just got for me that like my guides, generically speaking, come in on my right side and then you get mm. me over here who's sometimes arguing with them. I'm like, are you kidding? And you yeah. know, and they're like, right. But I know who's who just because I've done this long enough, you know? Um, so I do feel like whatever is over here on my right, which really just comes in as kind of like these like orbs that either like nod or shake their head or maybe point to a story that's already in my own brain, like tell this person this story. And sometimes I'll be like, you want me to tell them what? I'll be like, okay, they want me to tell you the story. And then the person will go, oh, and I'm like, all right. I don't know what that meant to you, but it it meant something. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many times I leave a reading and I'm like, I don't know. Those were the things I was supposed to say to you. And they mean something to people that I know I'll never understand.
1: Yeah. I struggle with it too, you know. I've uh I spoke with Sarahoth about this a bunch where I'm kind of in this, you know, that liminal kind of gray or agnostic static of, you know, is it just uh my subconscious that I'm tuning or is there actually something outside and it switches all the time, you know. Yeah. Um but I think, you know, people Tune into this stuff and they look for it. It's a lot of times it's through desperation, like it's through yes. adversity. And you know, given the state of the world now, it's no wonder that people are tuning more to you know the like occult practices and, and tarot and astrology just to try to calibrate some answers or seek outside. But you're right, people take it and it's, it's just a different terminology, they just interchange. That's basically mm-hmm. you just a faith based idea
0: yeah which apparently like as human beings we need no matter what like we apparently you know i'm not saying every person but like like it's a it's a really standard like human need to have a belief that our lives have meaning i think it's really difficult for people to like move forward when the, the idea that like this is it this is your one shot and if your life is difficult Um, to whatever degree you are just like, I don't know if it doesn't have any meaning at all. I'm not sure how to move forward. And so sometimes, you know, people just invest, you know, in that, which is fine. Um, right. right? But I do, I mean, I have really come to the point where I'm like, I mean, God, do individual lives have meaning? That one's rough, but like, (laughs) like there's... (laughs) is something, um, but there is something bigger than us for whatever, I don't know, I'm going to throw this in there because this is really interesting for me. Being raised as somebody um, who was, you know, don't say God in the house, you know, like, don't like, you know, religion is not this way to go or whatever with things. Um, I actually did come to in my 20s to having pretty much a pretty big like relationship with what i would call god which was really funny because i had an atheist mother and then i was a punk like punks don't do that you know they're atheists too you know right Mm -hmm. so it's just like i spent like probably you know most of my 20s into half of my 30s at least hiding it that i like had that I believed in God right Mm -hmm. and so uh, and then I like came out with it and it wasn't like my mom still didn't like it my friends didn't like it and I'm like God God!" yeah Yeah. (laughs) so what so so that's like you know gosh you know over but it was just
1: it was like your idea of the absolute right or like yeah like you were saying it had had no you didn't mean a Christian God or a a, a nomination at all
0: Right. right right But I also didn't feel the need to use a different word, you know, because sometimes people are like, oh, source. And I'm like, well, we're still, that's fine, right. but we're still talking about God. you know. The <laughs> exactly. universe, that's fine, but We're still talking about God, you know. So I didn't find a need to use a different word for it. What is interesting for me is this past year, because I feel like, you know, you get to a certain place with your spirituality and you're like, okay that's where I'm at. That's who I am. Like, that's my spirituality. I got a handle on it. I'm just going to move ahead. This is sometimes why I feel like people choose religion anyway. And they're like, well, guess what? I don't have to think about anymore. Like, right. My religion just kind of explains to me how to right. practice. I don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Um, and I'm, I can appreciate that even more than ever, like this year, because something that just happens, um, after all of the, I mean, literally just a few months ago, um, uh, back, maybe, uh, maybe February, March, something like that. I just woke up and I had this realization that like, cause I was praying all these years I've been praying. I would just pray to God. It just made sense to me. I was comfortable with it. Even <laughs> Like my mom and my friends are like, Oh my God. Um, you know, I would still made sense to me and I would pray to God. Right. So this year that changed because I woke up one day and I had this realization that, um, or whatever, my, whatever you want to call it, realization might not be the right word, but there was a shift in my spirituality and having this realization for me that what I was calling God actually had no, um, was a completely neutral force. It's a completely neutral creative force. Right.
1: Personality less.
0: Yes, yeah. and, doesn't, and doesn't have this like God is not, God is a creator, sure. Like spitting things out of a black hole, basically mm-hmm. like, oh, no, there's that, there's yeah. that. And it doesn't have this like i want things to be good i'm not i mean like to say that god is creating from all love i'm like well not really right. i mean god is just like creating whatever god can create kind of without personality without determination without any of the without having a desire for how that thing will go or even mm-hmm. really thinking about it so to speak right this is like new stuff for me, and it's created only a mild crisis because I've had so many spiritual crises at this point in time. I'm like, I'm like, tell something I don't know, okay? Yeah, bring <laughs> I mean,
1: it on. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think I'll just, you know, drink diet Pepsi and eat candy in bed for a few days.
1: <laughs> I know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: right. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say it was the crises, but at night when I go to sleep, I'd be like, Dear. Black hole, no, that's not working for me, especially since you don't give a shit. So um, so I went through that for a few months, but then I'm like, you know, but then like I got a little bit closer to like what I would consider my guides, you know, I hadn't had a direct conversation with them for a while. You start to take it for granted, especially for me. I'm seeing them all the time working with other people. So I had kind of stopped talking to my guides. I mean this really generically. Sure. Um, I stopped talking to my guides, you know, personally, For a long time. And so I started talking to them personally again, and they were, they uh, agreed that this was like, yeah, no, you're right. The source of all things is neutral. That doesn't mean that we don't have plans. And, you know, it made me think about the concept of Jesus, you know, which is a big concept for me, which is, and there's a reason that that's so, which we could talk about if you wanted to, but, Mm -hmm. but at any rate, like the guides and the things were like, that doesn't mean that we're not real and don't have desires just because God creates indiscriminately doesn't mean we're indiscriminate or that we're meaningless. Well, I'm getting chills right now. They're like,
1: yeah, like lesser gods, like.
0: Like the lesser gods, what a great way to put it. And I'm like, and then it makes sense as to why I feel like we need to like onboard, so to speak, with these, you know, yeah, lesser gods. I love that to onboard with like these forces that do have desires for us that are really, really quite beautiful and have desires for themselves that are really, really quite beautiful and are made of love. Right, mm-hmm. just because God is neutral doesn't mean that love doesn't come out of it. And this is all this is new stuff for me, Pete. This is new territory for me. We would have had this conversation a year ago, and I'd say, "No, I'm a, I believe in God, and like I believe God created all things, you know, and, and God is love." Like I, we would have had that conversation, but now I'm like, "Nope, God's a black hole." <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's and it's it's not. There's you know, there's something I find, I don't know, just I, romantic is the first word that comes to mind talking about a black hole which is really funny but uh, <laughs> right. you know but like there's something i don't know there's just a relief or like a resolve like of just the the gentle understanding that you know this is a personalityless god he did not he is not a he it is yeah. you know there was no we are not the end all be all the human species you know god does not look like us is not doesn't have our petty wants, wants and qualms, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, but there is, yeah. And Then there's that challenging aspect, but there is, perhaps, you know, just there's just levels. So there's like a, I, I'd hate to use the term hierarchy because fuck hierarchy, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. There's you're, there's some sort of structure about um, maybe the things that preternaturally that we we deal with and experience during you know these practices and stuff that isn't Every if everything's about the source, everything's about the absolute. You know, there's still things we have to weave and you know have relationships with. You know, below that.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and especially with our limited little mm. human capacity here.
1: Yeah. For Did sure. you, when you were tuning, like your guides? Was it just through continual practice of you know reading? tarot and kind of tuning in that way or did you use other kind of methods to help you commune with them
0: okay well (laughs) (laughs) i had this experience so i um in 2008 from the time i was like 17 until i was 35 i was a really really heavy drinker i was Mm -hmm. a blackout drunk and um in the beginning of 2008 january of 2008 I quit and um, I did this with like, I needed, I, I took Campral, which is like a cessation drug. Like it was, I oh, mean, yeah. it was, yeah, like this was not, this was very serious business. Like right. I had not been an adult person who was not a blackout drunk, like straight up. And um, I couldn't really, I couldn't quit without help and I couldn't sleep. And like, this is serious business, right? This isn't just mm-hmm. like somebody who's like, oh, you know, having those couple glasses of wine is really right. taking it out of me now. Harm
1: reduction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. No, this is right. This okay. was serious business. And I was someone who'd like, i had been through DTs before, you know, and mm-hmm. like, like I, it was serious business. Right. So anyway, that's January of 2008. I'm going to quit. And so I decided that like, like, I have no idea how to like live. I don't know. And like, and I can't sleep and all these things are going on. And I was a writer. I'd already published a novel by then, but I'd always wanted to get my master's degree. And so I decided I would go back to school and get my master's degree. And I fell in love with um, Goddard College up in Vermont, which is a low residency program. And so I decided that I was gonna apply there. And if I didn't get in, I'd apply the next year. That's where I wanted to go, right? Mm-hmm. So I send in my application. So this is, um, and then June of that year, I'm in. I'm going, I'm going back. I'm going to get my master's degree. One of the things i would wanted to do my whole life. So I'm like, right. And this is still like, I still can't sleep at night. I'm still totally unsure as to whether or not I can, um, not drink like you know the, and then like the cessation drugs started making me dizzy so I couldn't even drive to work I'm like well right. that's not gonna work you know we and that's the stuff. drug
1: that like you get physically ill if it, if you imbibe No,
0: nope. it's nope. the opposite she told me I'd asked my doctor I'd said do you know about something called camp and she was she was a good doctor I was lucky to have her at the time she's like I haven't heard of it but I'll look it up and if I can get it for you, I will. If not, I'll give you an abuse, which is what mm. you're talking me about. And I said, I said, that won't work. Yeah. I said, punishing me does not work. Yeah, you know what I made point. a joke? I said, ask my father, you know, like, yeah. I didn't, <laughs> like, right. I didn't, you know, like punishing me does not work. Like I'll, cause like, here's the deal with an abuse. Like once you get violently ill and throw up, then you can get drunk.
1: Oh, well, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> I know that from people in the military. So anyway, I had so camperl, no, actually what camperl does or what they hope that it does is it's targets because like your when you drink that much, your brain receptors like close down. So you go into extraordinary depression because your like serotonin receptors are literally closed down. So mm. they had hoped, they weren't sure, but they felt like camperl could target that and help your receptors open, right? I don't know if it did that, but psychologically these, taking these big horse pills like worked for me until they started making me dizzy. And I actually had to call off a day from my job. And I was like, well, I'm, I can't lose my job, you know? Yeah. So anyway, so I t- stopped taking those things and I was really shaky. And I went to my first low residency gig up there in Vermont, you know, you go and you stay for a week and you do full-time work for the rest of the semester, but you send it in through the mail. And so, and I really, that isn't even why I took that program. I just really liked the, I was really attracted to the program. So anyway, here's the deal. So I get there and um, this man named Paul Selig is giving- Oh, I giving, know
1: Paul Selig. Yeah. All right. the channeler.
0: Yes. Yeah. Except that's not what he, Ooh, I got to chill all over me. That's not what he did at the time. This is 2008. His books, his first, uh, I am the word didn't come out until 2010. It came oh, out- wow. in, Month I graduated. I know this. So, anyway, he was my program director, right? I got chills all over me telling you the story. That's crazy. It's crazy. So, he gave this opening speech to us while we were there. And I was like, holy shit, just listening to him talk, I was like, who is this person? What is he saying? Like, what is he doing? This is so funny. This is such a funny story. I was really enamored of him. I was like, how is he like, you know and one of the things he said is like none of you are in this room by accident and i was like whoa what is so wild about him saying that like why do i feel so drawn you know so okay so i go and he had this little dog at the time named darla and i think he has a different dog now but he had a little dog named darla a little yorkie mix and it was so cute and i love dogs whatever and he carried around he had that dog with him everywhere only person i, I would see him in the cafeteria with her in a bag and he'd be at the salad bar and she'd be over that plexiglass going like this. And I'm like, the only
1: person
0: <laughs> to get away with that is Paul Sullivan. right? right? Anyway, I go up to his office because I really just want to meet him, right? And I walk in his office and I put my hand out to shake his hand and he holds up the dog. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking weirdo, you know? And I was like, I just want to <laughs> stay like. I thank you, you know, for having me in your program. I'm really happy to be here. And he's like, okay, thanks. You know, I walk away. I'm like, what a fucking weirdo, you know? And it wasn't <laughs> until later that I realized, like, he didn't want to shake my hand because he'd get all this information, right? Oh. I didn't know anything about this. Right? Awesome. I didn't know anything about this. So, okay. So here's one of the things that, it, that happens. During your first two residencies, you can't take any classes from Paul Selig, who's an amazing writing teacher and an amazing writer, Okay. You can't take any of his workshops, writing workshops, until you're in your second year. And I was so fascinated by him, right? And so the only thing you could take in your first residency was his, it was called the Writer's Healing Circle. Now, mind you, we're at a time in my life where I see those words and I'm like, oh, God, you know, right? Like, oh, this hippie, dippy, (laughs) fuck, bullshit, And so like- But it got past, but I had to go because I was so right into like, I had to go find out more about Paul Selig. So I go down to this thing that mind you, Keats is beneath me. Okay. It's all beneath me, right? This writer's healing circle is so far beneath me. You can't even believe it. Right. But that having been said, I love how all the crappy parts of my personality come to make this moment for me. So, but that having been said, even though it was beneath me, I had to be better at it than anybody in the room. Right. right? Yeah. So, um, so I get in there and I pull my desk. It's like carpeted room. You know, the desks are all whatever. I pull my desk up to the front. I sit down with my notebook and I'm ready to like take my hippie dippy. Like I am worth it. I am, you know, like whatever have <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the hell hippie shit gonna do, right? I'm going to do it better than anybody else in that room. And so um, then he comes in and he says, okay, everybody make a circle. And we make a circle. And I'm like, yeah, of course, we're hippies. We got to make a circle. So, but I'm up at the, the doors behind way, you know, like I'm up at the front of the room and I have to get through the room. I'd have to go through everybody to get out the door, right? This is an important aspect, right? Because that's my good student. I'm going to do better than everybody else, right? So anyway, he's like, listen, here's the, here's the truth about me. Um, here's where you are right now. You're in this room. I'm a channeler. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. (laughs) Right. And he's like, he's like, so like I channel these guides, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes on about it. And he says, I recommend that every single one of you leave right now. And he says, especially since Mark Doty is next door. I don't know if you know who Mark Doty is. Um, But he's a writer. He was, He wrote a really great book called Heaven's Coast that is about losing his boyfriend to AIDS, which is like, if you ever, you need grief care, please read Heaven's Coast. It's amazing. Anyway, Mark Doty, he's a famous writer, but at the time he was particularly popular. And so Paul Selig says, Mark Doty is next door doing a writing workshop. None of you will ever have the opportunity to do a writing workshop with Mark Doty ever again. I recommend all of you go next door and do that because I am a regular roadside attraction. Keats, I would have, except then the third part of my personality was I couldn't disrupt anyone to get out the door.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. So here's these three things about me that are coming together to keep me in that chair. All right. So Paul Selig starts channeling. (laughs) and we're all sitting in this circle and like literally I can feel a ring of fire go through our hearts because there were some people who wanted to sit on the floor and he's like I actually need you all at the same level and I'm like god this shit's really getting deep huh you know but no I can feel it and the thing was I went into this incredible like trance space and where everything I was hearing like I couldn't have taken notes there was no way to do it and like I was like holy shit but it's okay because I'll never forget anything I'm hearing because this is the absolute 100% truth, all right? And so at the, it like, it was incredible. It was one of the most incredible experiences in my life. And so when it was over at this point in time, I don't think they do this anymore, but at this point in time, the guides, his guides, would do regular, would do work on the individual people in the circle. And so he got to me, this is June of 2008. I quit drinking in January of, of 2008. So this is six months later, and I am not sure about myself I am still mm-hmm. really shaky I still can't sleep I still don't know how to live without drinking right yeah. and so we stand up and he gets to me you know and again like I didn't know what chakras were or anything but when they're they're like open your crown chakra I was like you must open your crown chakra better than anyone's ever opened their <laughs> before, right and so like I'm trying really hard and they get to me and they're like they're like um they tell me you know like tell her she's doing a good job and he's like they say you're doing a good job you know or whatever and I was like yeah I really got that Crown chakra open, yeah. I <laughs> got an A plus on opening my crown chakra, whatever the fuck that is. I did it better than anybody else, okay. And so, like, you know, but then, and he gets irritated with the guides. He's so funny because he'll talk back to him, and he's like, and he's like, I just told her, and they were like, oh, they want me to tell you again that you're doing a good job. And he was so pissed off, you know. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, they're not talking about my crown chakra; they're talking about drinking. Right. Right. And so I walked out of that room and I knew, you know, he was I was gonna be able to take those workshops more as over the next couple of years when I went to my residencies, and then I would have one the following, I'd have another chance in January, but I'd have another one the following June. And I remember I walked out of that room and I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. If you can come back to this chair in one year even if you start drinking again, everything will be different. Nothing will ever be the same. All you have to do is make it back here without taking a drink for a year and your life has changed. And yeah. it was an absolute fact. And like, and so I, I did it, I made it back. But anyway, that's how I met Paul Selig. And that's how I met my guides, which I think are the same guides that Paul hmm. Selig taught. I think that they are, and they're, they're nodding their heads. Like I've been doing this with them for 10 years now, which is, yeah. it's like legitimately like 10 years, like a couple of months ago. Um, 12 years, I guess that was 12 years ago. But um, But anyway, I feel like I've been working with those guides for, so there's your answer to your question. There's my story about how it came into my life. And I was not, at that point in my life, like this was not the kind of thing I was looking for. I actually like, I had pub two thousand eight. My novel came out in two thousand six. And in two thousand eight, I was still wanted to be a novelist. Like my idea was still to be like like a famous like literary writer. That's where I was going with this, not to sit in a room and like feel my soul filled by fucking channeling. You know, like that's not that's not who I was at the time. So
1: So how did that reconfigure, you know, your trajectory moving forward? So you said you you know you wanted to be a novelist and everything so what what morphed like what became your new trajectory yeah well
0: i mean i guess that's a slightly i guess a little bit of what because actually like actually my novel came out out in the fall of 2005 mm-hmm. which i had just been through hurricane katrina because i was living in new orleans right. and so that actually had changed my writing i thought i would go back to writing novels but at that point in time i needed to write plays and so I had written a play during that period of time, which had a production that was like amazing. I loved, I loved that whole aspect of my life. Um, so I was actually studying playwriting when I was there, but I did think I would go back. But also like playwriting, novels can like, you know, you can veer off. You can be like, let's go have a picnic and talk about nothing. Right. You can do that in a novel. In a play, you can't, every single word has to have a reason. It's why. action. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and there's no there's no extraneous words, and there's certainly right. no extraneous like storylines. Like, why is that word there? If you cannot answer that question, you have to take the word out, right? So that was part of why I wanted to study playwriting too. I just love the um, I love the discipline of playwriting. I think playwriting is the it requires the most discipline out of any form of writing that there is. So that's part of why I really thought I'd go back to reading novels once I writing novels once I used that found that discipline in playwriting, um. But I didn't. And what wound up happening then is I write these performances that I do. with oh, a Right. Musician, right? Mm-hmm. That bring in these guys. So that's really how it changed me is that I really had no desire. What really changed is I had no desire to go back to the industry and to put I'm working class, you know, yeah. putting yourself working class into the literary industry, like, it's not that it can't be done. It's that it's that you have to take up really upper class values that I don't have.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I don't have. I don't I care
1: about
0: yeah. You know, like you make seven dollars an hour and you smoke cigarettes. I'm sorry, I don't have an opinion about that. And you, I mean, you know, hopefully mm-hmm. you get. Obviously, like you don't put that in a novel, but in some ways you do. Like there is this way that literature makes the upper class. Um, feel like there's just nothing you could do, and you know, as like a lifelong anarchist, I don't believe that either. I'm like, well, you could redistribute the wealth, but you know, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. know, right? So, um, so the way that it changed me then, the playwriting combined with the channeling and the tarot cards and all these different things came together, and it did. It put me on this different path in life to where I'm like, no, I want to use my capacity for language, um, for speaking, for public speaking, which I've done my whole life and performance, and my ability to write, and my ability to tell a story, I want to use, and and tarot cards are all about speaking and telling stories, too. I want to use all of those things to do really important, like, healing work on, like, on all of us, including myself, and to put something into the world that I think doesn't serve the upper classes. So, like, (laughs) if I can nutshell all that into one place, it's, like, it's actually true. I've actually really just described myself pretty well.
1: I love that. Yeah, that sings to me. I feel like a lot of similarities between yeah, us good. for that. Because, yeah, I I've, I've definitely feel disjected by kind of the upper echelon things, you know, especially as a creative person or as a writer, yeah. as, you know, kind of an ex-academic in a way, you know, it's very, very disgruntled, uh, especially from like an impoverished upbringing and, uh-huh. you know. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's something to be said. I think it's, I don't know. Uh, you know, I made that joke earlier about hierarchy sucking and uh, it kind of plays into this, you know? Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes it does. No, yes, it does. I mean, like, I don't know. Again, you know, I'm not really trying to go off on anyone, but like the couple of people I know from working class backgrounds that are starting to be successful in the literature industry, they really throw their family under the bus, like caricatures, you know, yeah. and... I'm like, no can do, you know, like no can yeah. do. Like there's a lot of this stuff. I cannot make the upper classes feel better about keeping the rest of us poor. I don't have it in me.
1: Yeah. I love yeah. that. I was going to ask, I think it'd be probably a good uh, ending kind of question, but uh, obviously you commune with these guides when you write, when you create. I do. Do you uh, have a way of kind of describing what that process is like?
0: Um. Yeah. Ooh, see, I get chills on my knees. I read so much through my body. And anytime I nice. start like, kind of around, yeah. Um, I really, you know, like it'll just like when I go into my writing, like I have a pretty good writing discipline, which I think is important, you know. Um, if nothing else, just I put up tarot cards every day, five days a week on social media, which keeps me accountable not only to my like um, spiritual tarot practice, but also just every day I have to write a, something, at least mm-hmm. a sentence, you know, like, right, um, which I think is important. But what, if I look back through my notebooks are even places where I've typed into Google Docs, you know, just free typed. Um the notebooks my writing gets really big and really large and even in the google docs like things you know like the typos will get going and there's all kinds of weird strange word uses that i wouldn't use Mm -hmm. um there are definitely sometimes it's funny it's kind of like um it's like lucid dreaming a little bit if you suddenly go oh shit i'm dreaming you wake up Right, I mean, or or like, like, oh shit, I'm lucid dreaming. You like? It
1: kicks you out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it kicks you out. Yeah, it's kind of similar. Like if I like, if I realize they're there, I'll be like, oh my god, they're here, and then I'm like, oh shit, shit, where'd you go? You know, scared
1: them away.
0: Yeah, you know, which is not them; it's me. Sure. Like now, suddenly being in a state of mind that isn't accepting of like full reality and wants to recompartmentalize myself into what I'm used to. So by saying, which is true with lucid dreaming too, because lucid, I mean, that's obviously just something you can do. Right. But Mm -hmm. since we, the moment you kind of say like, no, I'm not supposed to be able to do this. It's like, well, fine. And it's the same thing with the guides. As soon as I'm like, oh my God, you're all here. It's so crazy. They're like, it's like, ah, you just slammed the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but they definitely do come through my process and in different ways. And there are definitely times too when there are certain things in my writing or in my work, whether I'm reading cards, like there's certain things, you know, like that the cards are not gonna like, like that my guides are not gonna come in on in a card reading. You know, if somebody's like really talking to me about like, certain things that really just are going to require two human beings like where it would be um fraudulent for me to say well you know my the guides think you should it's like sometimes it's too serious it's health and relationships in these ways that it's like well we don't do that that's um manipulative and silly Mm -hmm. um so the same type of thing in my writing sometimes where I'm like okay guys let's like do this thing they're like oh no sorry that's all you you don't think we picked you for nothing do you we picked you because you know how to write like right like you literally like you like you're a math you have a master's degree in writing like we chose you for that reason in part right so because Mm -hmm. not the degree but just the um the ability. So they're like, at certain points in time, they're like, no, that's all you like we ha- we inspired it. But now you got to put the details together and turn it into a poem. That's all you. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do that work. So I think that's part of it, too. I will say this, like when I a part of what I teach with intuition with people also is like, you cannot intuit something you don't know so knowledge is the way you want greater intuition create greater knowledge for yourself whether it means reading science books or history books or teaching yourself how to code it doesn't matter they can find your guides will find metaphors usable in anything that you know but you have to know things like it's like trying to throw a dart at a dartboard that isn't there like all the guides can really do is throw darts at things that you know so to speak and so the more you know the more they have to utilize. I hope they have
1: to, they have to speak through your filter of self. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have the skills or those, those ideas, they can't, they they can't translate it.
0: Yep. Um, Exactly.
1: I want, I think it's super synchronous. We're talking. Um, I think I've been pretty public about, you know, my, my drinking as of late and it's, you know, it's It's one of those gnawing annoyances there's not nothing been too dramatic or or awful, but it's you know uh I'll put it like this like i through my long kind of strenuous you know mental health stuff and everything um I never utilized drugs or alcohol or anything to create or write mm-hmm. and it reminds me it makes me think excuse me that you know, it's because I was trying to make those channels more clear, you know, it's the drugs and the drinking in the past were for everything else.
0: (laughs) Right. 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 But
1: you know, I, yeah, I just, I really appreciate you telling that story and, um, yeah, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll all get through this together.
0: Yes, we, I <laughs> guess we will. <laughs> Even if it takes a thousand years, we uh, will get through it together.
1: <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much for speaking with me. Um, oh, thank
0: you. it's been so fun.
1: Yeah, this has been great. Obviously, you know, we'll keep talking and I hope to have you on again and yeah, I'll have this out this week and uh please plug you have an amazing podcast with callie that you're about to just do called the secret antenna if you want to shout out all of your wonderful projects please do
0: oh yeah great um secret antenna you can find us on anchor and spotify but probably the easiest way to find us is follow us on twitter where we put up we'll put up our podcast plus all our kind of supplemental materials um we are doing a history of Cointelpro. so if you don't know what that is come find out if you do know what it is come be a gas a gas a gassed with us on the subject um that's one of my major projects um uh, anti-gravity magazine also a good one to go ahead and find on twitter that is new orleans absolute and i'm not i'm saying this just because i write for them I have always been like, oh my God, that's the best lefty rag in the entire world. So that's anti-gravity. So find that. Those are probably my two main things. And then Embry.com is my website. And you can find me there for uh, readings, that, uh, for card readings and things of that nature. And I put up a tarot card Monday through Friday on all of my social media. Twitter's the best place to find me.
1: Cool. I'll have all of those links in the description. Great.
0: Thank you. Awesome.
1: Thanks, Michelle. Okay. We'll All talk right. soon.
0: Yeah, bye for now.